Amen. All right, well, we're there in Luke chapter number five. And of course, on uh, Sundays, we are in a series called Journey with Jesus. And we are making our way through the gospel according to Luke, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And we are on a journey with the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> this morning, we come to a passage of scripture uh, that is the call of one of the uh, apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, a very well-known apostle, in this passage of Scripture is dealing with the call of Matthew. Now, if you're there in Luke chapter 5, I'd like you to look down at verse number 27. Luke 5 and verse 27, the Bible says this, And after these things he went forth and saw a publican named Levi. And I want you to notice there, in Luke we're told that his name is Levi, sitting upon, uh, sitting, excuse me, at the receipt of customs, and he said unto him, this is Jesus speaking to Levi, he said unto him, follow me. Now, I'd like you to keep your place there in Luke, if you would. That's our text for this morning. But go with me, if you would, to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter number 9. If you go backwards, you're going to go past the book of Mark into the book of Matthew, <clears throat> Matthew chapter number 9. And just by way of introduction, I want to show you how we know that this Levi is Matthew. In Matthew, the same passage is quoted, but the name is swapped, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9. The Bible says, and as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man, notice here in Matthew we're told, named Matthew, sitting upon, uh, sitting, excuse me, at the receipt of custom, and he saith unto him, follow me, and he arose and followed him. So I want you to notice that in Matthew, we are told his name is Matthew, and of course this is the apostle who wrote the gospel according to Matthew, and in Luke we're told his name is Levi, and of course both of those are correct, his name was uh, Matthew Levi. But what we see here in this passage of Scripture is the Lord Jesus Christ calling Matthew or Levi uh, into the ministry. Go, go back to Luke. You, you can keep your place there in Matthew if you'd like, because we're going to come back to Matthew throughout the sermon, but it's easy to find, so you don't have to keep your place there if you don't want to. Luke chapter 5, and in this story uh, where we see the calling of Matthew, there are uh, some lessons that I'd like to point out to you this morning, and I'll point them out as quickly as I can this morning. There are some lessons that we learn about the Lord Jesus Christ and the ministry of Christ and some things that we want to incorporate into our own ministry. And if you're able to take notes, I'd encourage you to take down some notes on the back of your course a week. There's a place for you to write some things down. The first lesson, lesson I'd like you to notice is that the Lord Jesus Christ was looking for, and as a result, you and I <clears throat> need to be looking for uh, our goal in ministry, and what we are attempting to do is, number one, we are looking to reach sinners. We're looking to reach sinners. I want you to notice there <clears throat> in Luke 5 and verse 27, the Bible says this, and after these things he went forth. I want you to notice what the Bible says here. It says, and saw a publican, and a publican is a title or a term or a job description of someone who held a position. This was a public office. It was like a government office, and it was the job of a tax collector. It was someone who collected taxes. This would be like, for us, someone who works in the IRS. And here he says, after these things, he went forth and saw a publican named Levi, notice, sitting at the receipt of custom. The receipt of custom is where they would receive customs, where they would receive taxes and fees, and he said unto him, follow me. Verse 28 says this, and he left all, rose up and followed him. Verse 29, 
And Levi, and of course we know this is Matthew, made him a great feast in his own house. After Levi was called into the ministry, the Bible tells us that Levi made, had this party for Jesus where he made him a feast in his own house. And we're going to talk about that here in a minute. And he said, the Bible says, and there was a great company of publicans. So I want you to notice <clears throat> that Levi himself was a publican. Then he invites Jesus to a party, a great feast, and there was a great company of publicans. He invited all his publican friends, and he invited all these individuals, and these were all tax collectors. We see Levi sitting there at the receipt of custom. The word custom is defined as a tax or a fee that is paid to the government. And I want you to notice that Levi was a publican. He was a tax collector. Now you say, why is that important? Why do we need to know that? Go back to Luke chapter 3, if you would, and look at verse number 12. <clears throat> We've been preaching through the gospel of Luke, <clears throat> and we're making our way through this passage. We've already seen Luke chapter 3, but I want to remind you of something that we saw earlier in this book in regards to uh, the publicans. And what you need to understand about these publicans, these tax collectors, is that the publicans were hated by the people. They were highly disliked. They were people that were not popular amongst the common man. And the reason for that is not only because they were tax collectors. I mean, that's enough of a reason to not like somebody uh, if they are working for the government and taking your money. But these people would often also steal. The way that the Roman Empire had the system set up is that they would commission these publicans to go out into their communities and collect taxes. But they were allowed to collect as much as they wanted. As long as uh, the Roman Empire got their cut, they uh, were not just out there and being paid in order to collect uh, the amount that was due to the Roman Empire, the way that they got paid is that if you owed a certain amount to the Roman Empire, they would collect above that. They would collect more than that, and what was owed to the Roman Empire was given to the Roman Empire, and the rest was given to them or was kept by them as a payment. For that reason, these people would often charge and collect a lot more than what was actually due. They were stealing from their own people. Uh, the Jews were under the authority here of the Roman Empire. Matthew was a Jew. His name was Levi. He's working for the foreign uh, uh, empire, uh, collecting taxes from his own people. And in many cases, the publicans were stealing from the people. In Luke chapter 3, if you remember this story, the publicans came to John the Baptist and they're getting saved and getting right with God and they're asking this question, a question that every uh, uh, believer should ask. In Luke 3 and verse 12, the Bible says this, Then came also publicans to be baptized and said unto him, These are tax collectors coming to John. They want to get baptized, but they ask this question, Master, what shall we do? They're asking, what should we do? Now that we're saved, now that we're getting baptized, now that we're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you remember the response from John, verse 13, and he said unto them, exact no more than that which is appointed you. Now why is it that John the Baptist told these publicans, look, now that you're a believer, now that you're a Christian, when you go to work, you should exact no more than that which is appointed you. Why would he tell them that? Here's why. Because they were exacting more than was appointed them. They were stealing from the people. They were taking uh, uh, exaggerated amounts from the people. 
pocketing the money for themselves, becoming rich by stealing from the people, uh, from their own people. This is why they were a hated and a disliked group. Go to Luke 19, if you would. Luke chapter 19. You're there in Luke chapter 3. Just flip over to Luke 19. In Luke chapter 19, we have a story of a very famous encounter that the Lord Jesus Christ had. It's a very well-known story. When Jesus came across a man by the name of Zacchaeus, I'm sure you're familiar with the story. If you grew up in church, you probably grew up singing the song. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 2, the Bible says this, And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. I want you to notice something interesting about Zacchaeus. The Bible says, which was the chief among the publicans. Zacchaeus was not only a publican, he was their supervisor. He was their manager. He was the chief publican. He was the the guy in charge of the publicans. Notice what the Bible tells us in that context. It's telling us things about Zacchaeus. His name was Zacchaeus. He was the chief among the publicans. And with that same thought, the Bible says there in verse 2, and he was rich. Why was he rich? Because he was a publican. Because he had been stealing from the people. You say, how do you know that Zacchaeus was stealing from the people? Well, look down at verse number 8. Luke chapter 19 and verse 8. In, in, in Luke 19 and verse 8, we fast forward. Zacchaeus has now gotten saved. He's uh, become a follower of Jesus. He's believed on Jesus. And I want you to notice what the Bible says, what Zacchaeus said in Luke 19 and verse 8. After his conversion, after he's getting right with God, he said, the Bible says, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord. This is Zacchaeus speaking to Jesus. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and, notice what he says, if I have taken anything from any man, notice, by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. So when Zacchaeus got right with God, he actually enacted the Old Testament law, which the Old Testament law says that if you steal from someone, you have to return it. If you're caught or if you're punished, you're supposed to return it fourfold times four. And Zacchaeus says, look, if I have taken from anyone by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. I'm showing this to you to show you that the publicans were people that were taking advantage of their own people. They were given a certain amount that they were uh, allowed to take and even for themselves to be paid for their work, but they were taking above that by false accusation. They were taking more than they should take and they were becoming rich as a result. These people were looked down upon in society. Go, go back to Luke chapter 5 if you would. These people were often seen as crooks, as thieves, as sinners. In fact, throughout the New Testament, there is a phrase that is used, and I'm not going to take the time to show you every time, but I'll show you a few examples, that proves that the publicans were associated with sinners or as sinners, because the Bible often uses this phrase where it simply says, publicans and sinners. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 30, I want you to notice there, The Bible says, but their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples. We're in our story with Matthew. We're fast forwarding a little bit. I just want to show this to you. Saying, why do you eat and drink with, notice, publicans and sinners? Uh, This phrase is used throughout the New Testament to refer to this group of people. They're simply referred to as publicans and sinners. Go to Luke chapter 15 if you would. Look down at verse number 1. Luke 15 and verse 1 Luke 15, verse 1, the Bible says this, Men drew near unto him, Luke chapter 15 and verse 1, Then drew near unto him all, notice this phrase, the publicans and sinners 
to hear him. Look at Luke chapter 7 and verse 34. Luke chapter 7, if you go back a couple of pages, Luke 7, 34, the Bible says, The Son of Man is come, eating and drinking, and ye say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, notice, a friend of publicans and sinners. Throughout the Bible, we see this phrase where the publicans are just kind of lumped in with this phrase, publicans and sinners. And again, I won't take the time to show you, but there's also another phrase that the word publican is used in throughout the New Testament where they're associated with a wrong crowd. I showed you several examples of where people often just said this phrase, publicans and sinners. There's another phrase that's also said, which is publicans and harlots. Oftentimes when the publicans were referenced, uh, they would say, oh, there go the publicans and harlots. There go the publicans and sinners. And the point that I'm showing you is that uh, Levi was someone that was regarded as a crook, as a thief, as a traitor, as a sinner, as someone that people did not want to be around. Go back to Luke chapter 5 if you would. Luke chapter 5. So we see Jesus, he sees this man, Levi, sitting at the receipt of customs, and he says unto him, follow me. The Bible tells us that he forsook all and followed him. He became a follower. And here's what I want you to know, that when Jesus was looking for people to reach, he was looking for people that were sinners. Now, you need to understand, and you understand this, that we are all sinners, but the idea is this, that though we are all sinners, and the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, you understand this, especially if you're a soul winner, that not everybody understands that they are a sinner. Not everybody sees themselves as a sinner. Now, it is true that we are all sinners, but not everybody understands that they are a sinner in need of salvation. If you ask somebody, are you perfect? They say, of course I'm not perfect. Are you a sinner? They would say, well, I have sinned, but I don't know that I'm a sinner. Oftentimes we ask people, do you know for sure if you died today? Are you on your way to heaven? And they might say, yeah, I think I, I, think I might get there. Well, what are you trusting in to get to heaven? Well, I'm a pretty good person. I know I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as publican. I'm not as bad as my neighbor. I'm not as bad as uh, some of these guys I, I, I work with or some people that I know. See, Jesus was looking to reach sinners, and specifically he was looking to reach people who understood that they were sinners. See, if Jesus would have put an ad out in the newspaper looking for followers, he would have put an ad out that said this, Sinners Wanted. And here at Verity Baptist Church, this should be our mentality. We should love sinners. We should look for sinners. You say, what are you looking for at Verity Baptist Church? Well, we're trying to reach sinners. We're trying to reach, and and, and by the way, we're all sinners. But specifically, we're looking for people who understand that they are themselves a sinner. Luke chapter 5, look at verse 30. Jesus walks up to this man who's known as a sinner. He would be referred to as a a publican and that associates with sinners, a publican that associates with harlots. Luke chapter 5 and verse 30. Notice the Bible says, but they're scribes and Pharisees. Here show up the enemies, the scribes and Pharisees. I think it's interesting that the Bible uses this word, their scribes and Pharisees. Possessive. Meaning these were not just any scribes and Pharisees. They were the scribes and Pharisees 
you know, that belonged to this group of people. I don't know exactly what that means, except that maybe these were like their spiritual leaders in the sense that I might be your pastor. These were their scribes and Pharisees. These were people that uh, ministered in that community, knew these individuals, maybe ministered to them. Notice verse 30, but their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples. Jesus is reaching a publican. He goes Uh, into Levi's house, Levi has a feast where he invites a multitude of publicans to this feast, and the Bible says that their scribes, their Pharisees, their spiritual leaders murmured against his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? Now, that's interesting. Imagine if you went to a church, and Jesus reached you, and then the pastor said, why are you uh, eating with that person? Don't you know they're a sinner? They didn't think very highly of, of, of Matthew. He said, but their scribes and Pharisees murmured against them, saying, why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? Verse 31, and Jesus answering said unto them, why don't you notice what he says? He says, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. He said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, if Jesus put an ad out on the paper, it would have said, sinners wanted. And in fact, if he would have added to that ad, he might have added this phrase, righteous need not apply. Because when Jesus was looking, they they said, why are you hanging out with, with Levi, with Matthew? Don't you know he's a tax collector? Don't you know he's a thief? Don't you know he's a crook? Don't you know he's a traitor? Don't you know he, he hangs out with, he's a publican and he hangs out with sinners, publicans and harlots. You, why are you spending time with these people? And Jesus said, hey, I am reaching sinners. I'm looking for sinners. He says, don't you know that they that are whole need not a physician? He said, but they that are sick. He said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. There's a quote that says this, people that were not like Jesus, like Jesus. Jesus reached people that were not like him. And here at Verity Baptist Church, we need to remember that our goal is to reach sinners. Sinners are wanton. Righteous need not apply. I like seeing things like what we witnessed yesterday at a wedding seeing two young people that were raised in church, that love the Lord, that, are, uh, that were pure on the day of their wedding, that are soul winners, that are spiritual, that are putting God first in their lives. Hey, I like seeing that. I like, and, and, I, and we're going to see a, lo- a lot more of it as uh, our uh, church continues. I love the fact that there's uh, a mom and a dad uh, that decided that they're going to raise their kids for the Lord, and they're going to raise them right, and they're going to make sure they get married right, and they're going to make sure that they do what they're supposed to do. Hey, praise God for that, and, 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 and I love that, and I love seeing that, and, and I hope that we see more of it, and I know we will as these kids all around this auditorium begin to grow up and get married and establish families, and then their kids begin to, uh, they begin to raise their own children, and they grow. I hope that the Lord allows me to pastor long enough to see many generations of Baptists that have only ever been Baptists 
Baptist and I can identify with them. I was raised in a Baptist home and Christianity is all I've ever known. I wasn't born saved, but I was born Baptist. I got saved later on, but I've always been a Baptist and I'm thankful for that. And that encourages me and that ought to encourage you. But let me tell you something, as thankful as I am for young people that grew up in church that have only ever known church, I'm also thankful for people that show up that have a history that have a past, that don't have it all put together, that maybe don't look uh, 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 the part, and don't act the part, don't know the part, and, and maybe they're, they're just new at this thing, and they're learning, and they're growing. Hey, righteous need not apply. Sinners are wanted, and they should always be welcomed here. We ought to love them. Sometimes people will criticize our church. They'll say, oh, that church is a little stuffy. I'm here to tell you something. I like the fact. I like the fact that we've got people with all sorts of backgrounds. You say, "How do you like them, Pastor? You like them, you know? How, how, because churches, you know, they a lot of pastors. They might not admit this, but they they'll they they they're looking for a certain type of individual. You know, they're looking for the husband and wife with the 2.5 kids and the hundred thousand dollar income. They got it all put together and the nice car and they live on the nice side of town and they've got all everything you need. And here's what I've learned in ministry is they don't usually come in that way. They come in hurt. They come in with issues and problems. They don't come in normal. We gotta make them normal. They come in with histories. They come in with 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 past. I like the fact that we've got people around here, and don't misunderstand me, I like the fact that we've got young people that have grown up here, and this is all they've ever known. But I also like the fact that we've got ushers running around with tattoos on their necks and tattoos on their face. <laughs> people say to me, yeah, yeah, church is a little stuffy. I always think to myself, have you seen our ushers? <laughs> hey, I like the fact. You say, Pastor, how do you like them? I like them rich. I like them poor. I like them thin. I like them fat. I like them however they come in. Whatever hurt they need, whatever help they need, whatever counsel they need, if they're here to help or if they need help, hey, sinners are wanted. People that are not like us ought to like us. We ought to reach sinners. So don't ever turn your nose up at someone that walks in here. Not dressed the way you think they ought to dress. Not looking the way you think they ought to look. Not having everything put together the way they ought to have it put together. Hey, Jesus was looking for sinners. They said, why are you hanging out with these people? He said, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. He said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So we see this first lesson here. What are we looking for? What was Jesus looking for? He was looking to reach sinners. And by the way, what that means is that we may have to spend time around sinners. We may have to spend time with sinners. We may have to help sinners. And by the way, don't ever forget that you are a sinner. So we see number one, that we're looking to reach sinners. I want you to notice, secondly, this morning, there's another lesson I'd like to point out to you here. Not only are we looking to reach sinners, but I want you to notice, secondly, that we are looking to enlist workers. It's interesting to me that Jesus loved the poor. In fact, if you remember when we saw Jesus begin his ministry there in Luke, he went to a passage of scripture there in the synagogue in Nazareth, and he read out of the book of Isaiah, and he said that God had anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Jesus loved the poor. 
He spent time with the poor. He healed the sick. He cast out devils. He spent time with people that, that weren't able to minister to him or be a blessing to him. He fed them. He loved them. But what's interesting to me is that when Jesus was looking to enlist workers, he didn't go to the poor. In fact, Jesus consistently, and the New Testament consistently shows us that whenever Jesus looked for people to enlist in the ministry, he always went to what you and I would call the middle class, the working class. I mean, notice there in Matthew chapter 5. Look at verse 27. Matthew 5 and verse 27. Jesus was looking for an apostle. Luke 5, 27. After these things, he went forth, notice, and saw a publican named Levi, notice, sitting at the receipt of custom. Levi is at work right now. He's literally sitting at his job, doing his job, doing his work. And Jesus said unto him, follow me, verse 28, and he left all, rose up, and followed him. You'll notice that this is a consistent theme throughout the Bible. We saw this last week. I didn't point it out to you but because uh, I wanted to point it out this week, but I'll point it out now. Go back to Luke chapter 5, look at verse 1. Jesus was looking for an apostle, a worker to enlist in the ministry. He finds Matthew. Where does he find him? At work, sitting at the receipt of custom. Jesus is looking for apostles. He's looking for men to train and enlist in the work of the ministry, specifically four men, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Where does he find them? Luke chapter 5, verse 1. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. Jesus looks for workers. Where did he find Peter? Where did he find Andrew? Where did he find James? Where did he find John at work? They were working. Amen. They had toiled all the night. They were washing their nets, getting ready to finish their work day. And when Jesus finds them at work, he says, follow me. He's looking for a worker by the name of Matthew. He finds him at the receipt of custom. He said, follow me. Go to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Go backwards. You're, you're past, going past Mark into the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 13, verse 55. When God was looking for a man to physically raise his son, the son of God, when he was looking for a man, he sought a man named Joseph. We don't know a lot about Joseph. In fact, there's really only one thing other than the story in Matthew. We know he's a godly man and he knew the word of God. But as far as who Joseph was and what we know about Joseph, we don't know a lot about Joseph. But we know this, Matthew 13, 55. This is what people said about Jesus' stepfather. Is not this the carpenter's son? It's interesting to me. We don't know a lot about the man that God chose to raise the Son of God upon this earth, but we know he was a working man. He was a carpenter. Go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 4. Look at verse 36. I'm just, I'm, I just want to highlight something for you. It seems to me when God is looking for someone to work in the ministry, he's looking for someone who's already working. Acts chapter 4, verse 36. Notice what the Bible says. And Joseph, this is a man that uh, you and I are going to uh, get to know, that you'll know well in the New Testament. And Joseph, who, the Bible says, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas. Remember Barnabas? 
He is the partner of Paul, the missionary, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus. Notice, having land, sold it, and, bought the mon- and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Here we have uh, 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 Barnabas. He's used of God. What, what, what does he do for a living? He's a landowner. He's a real estate investor. He owns land. Look at verse 37. Having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Go to Acts chapter 18. Look at verse 1. You say, what about the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul was a very educated man. He was a very uh, successful man. But even the Apostle Paul uh, was able to work with his hands. Acts 18, verse 1. The Bible says, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from uh, Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them. And rot. Notice, for by their occupation, they were tent makers. Look, I'm just telling you. He looks for Matthew. He, he looks for an apostle. He finds Matthew, a tax collector. He needs apostles. He finds Peter, a fisherman. Andrew, a fisherman. James and John, fishermen. He needs a, 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 a missionary. He finds a, a, a Joseph named Barnabas who's a landowner. He needs someone to raise his son. He finds Joseph, the carpenter. He needs a a, a missionary. He finds Paul, a tent maker. He needs helpers for the missions. He finds Aquila and Priscilla, who were tent makers. Go to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. You're there in Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Let me give you another example. Colossians chapter 4. Here's another missionary, another man that we use of God to write scripture. In fact, we are studying his gospel right now, Colossians 4.14. Notice what the Bible says, Luke, the beloved physician. God needed someone to help the Apostle Paul in ministry and to write the gospel of Luke. He finds a physician. He needed somebody to help the Apostle Paul in missions. He finds a landowner by the name of Barnabas. He needed some apostles, and he finds them at work. And look, you find this consistently. I don't have time to go through the whole Bible, but you can study the Bible. You'll find that when God needed to use a man by the name of Moses, he found him on the backside of the desert, tending to the sheep of his father-in-law. What was Moses doing? He was working. When God needed a king for Israel, he looked for a young man. He found a young man by the name of Saul. What was Saul doing? He was looking for the lost uh, donkeys of his father. When God needed uh, a, a king, he found a young man that was at work at his father's business. When God needed another king by the name of David, he finds him out uh, in, the, in, the, in the wilderness tending for the sheep. When God needed a man by the name of Gideon to lead his people out of captivity, he finds him uh, uh, working and, and, and winnowing uh, and working on the farm. I'm just here to tell you something, that whenever God is looking for someone to do a work, he looks for people that are already working. Amen. See, you say, what are we trying to do here at Verity Baptist Church? Here's what I want you to understand. We're looking to reach sinners, but we're also looking to enlist the middle class, enlist workers. You say, Pastor Jimenez, how is Verity Baptist Church going to be used of God to reach the poor? How is Verity going to Baptist Church going to be used of God to, to reach uh, this community and other communities? I would answer that question by telling you, we are going to do it by continuing to do what we've been doing. You say, how have you started two churches in the Philippines with plans to start more?
more? How have you started plant, uh, church plants in Fresno and in Boise and in Vancouver? How have you accomplished the things that you've accomplished? Let me tell you something. The things that have been accomplished by this church have been accomplished because there's a group of men and women that are not afraid to roll up their sleeves and work hard. Amen. Say, we reach the poor. Yes, we reach the poor, but we reach the poor by the strength of the middle class. By the strength of the working man. By the strength of the working uh, lady that says, hey, we're going to get to work. See, there's a principle in the Bible that, yes, we reach the poor, but we enlist the middle class. When God is looking for someone to work, he looks for someone who's already working. When God is looking for someone to work, he usually finds them at work. Doesn't that make sense? That if you're looking for somebody to work, you'd, you'd look for someone that's already at work. I mean, Peter, James, and John are sitting there told all night long. They're washing their nets. They're already working. Jesus said, I need a worker. These guys are working. Matthew's working. I remember learning this lesson in a very difficult way early in our ministry. My wife and I started this church 11 years ago. When we started, we started with a handful of people in our living room. And in those early days, we were reaching a lot of people. My wife and I, were, the Lord was allowing us to reach people and knock doors and preach the gospel. And People were coming to church. And a lot of the people that we were reaching, not everybody, but a lot of the people that we were reaching were unemployed. And they weren't like unemployed like between jobs. They were like chronically unemployed. Like they were being supported by the government. They weren't looking for work. And obviously, you know... Uh, the Bible teaches about things like that, and I felt that it was our job to help them and help them grow and all those things. I remember thinking to myself, though, because these people loved the Lord. They were excited. They were coming to church. They were interested. They were growing. I remember thinking to myself, well, the good thing about reaching a bunch of people that don't have jobs is that they've got a lot of time. So when I preach on soul winning, they're going to show up to soul winning. When we have a work day, they're going to show up to work day. When we've got special things going on and things we need help with, they're going to help and show up and be available because they've got nothing else going on. They're sitting at home doing nothing. They're being supported by the government. They're not, they're, they've got a lot of time, so you know, at least maybe they'll work a lot. But you know, I started realizing that the more I preached on soul winning, they wouldn't show up for soul winning. We'd have work days. They wouldn't show up for work days. We'd have special events and special uh, things that need to be done, and no one would volunteer. And then I started to notice that the people that had full-time jobs, that were working 40 hours, 50 hours a week, the ladies that had uh, children, they were homeschooling, they were busy, they were busy at their work, you know, I, I started noticing, they were the ones that showed up for soul winning. They were the ones that showed up for uh, the work days. And they're the ones that, that would, would, would volunteer to help with the different things. And I, I, I kind of felt guilty about it. I thought, good night. We've got all these people sitting at home doing nothing all day. And, and they won't show up. They won't volunteer. And then we've got these other people. They're busy. They're working. They've got jobs. They're running businesses. They're the ones that are showing up. They're the ones that are volunteering. They're the ones that are doing the work. I started feeling guilty about it till I realized that God uses people that are workers. Amen. You know, all time in the world. Let me, let me explain something to you. God does not use lazy people. You say, what's the application? Here's the application. Quit being lazy. Work! Get to work! You say, I want God to use me mightily. Well, he needs to find you working. He needs to find you busy. 
He's not looking for guys sitting around, just waiting around, hoping the government will bail them out. No, he's looking for men that are willing, ladies that are willing to roll up their sleeves and work. You say, what are we doing here at Verity Baptist Church? We're trying to reach the poor. But we're trying to enlist the middle class. And you say, well, what about the poor? You know, you know honestly, and I, I, I don't even know if I should say this. I don't know how you'll take it, and it doesn't matter how you take it. <laughs> You say, what's your goal with the poor? I'm trying to make them middle class. Amen. I'm, I'm trying to help them teach the work and, and, and clean up. And you know, Nothing wrong with living in the ghetto, but you don't have to be ghetto. Amen. I understand living in a neighborhood. Look, I live in a neighborhood where there, it's, not, it's not the nicest neighborhood in the world, but I don't have to have a bunch of trash in my, my front yard. I don't have to live like... Like the devil, just because I live around devils, literally. <laughs> it's a story for another day. We're looking to reach sinners. We're looking to enlist workers. And when it comes to finding workers, usually what you need to look for is people that are already working. And by the way, you young ladies, since we just had a wedding... Let me let you know a little secret. Marry a guy who's already working. Amen. Well, he said that once we get married, he's going to get a job. Yeah. You go ahead with that. See how that works for you. Number one, we're looking to reach sinners. Number two, we're looking to enlist workers. Number three, I want you to notice the third thing we can learn in this little lesson here. Luke chapter five, if you would go back to it. Luke 5, verse 29. And Levi made him a great feast. Levi, at work, not a very popular job. He's a tax collector. Stealing from people. He's a crook. He's a thief. He's a traitor. Jesus calls him. And he follows him. And immediately... Levi thinks, I've got all these other friends that are publicans. I want them to get saved. I want them to meet Jesus. I want them to learn what I've learned. Luke 5, 29. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. Levi said, I got an idea. Jesus, I'd like to throw you a party. I'd like to uh, make a great feast in my own house. You say, why would you do that? Here's why. Because I want to invite all my friends. He, the Bible says, and there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with him. Levi said, I want to invite all my friends because I want all my friends and I want all my family and I want all my co-workers. I want them all to meet Jesus. Amen. Yesterday we are out soul winning. This lady got saved. Amen. Lord allowed me to be able to preach the gospel to her. After she got saved, she bowed her head and called upon Christ for salvation. First thing that she said to me, right after she got saved, first thing she said, what if somebody's mute? What if they can't speak? Can they get saved? I said, well, of course. I mean, God's not going to send somebody to help because they can't speak. You know, you, the Bible says you can call upon Christ even in your heart and your mind. She said, what, what, if they, what if they don't understand? What if they have this mind of a baby? 
And at that time, I saw a child come out from behind her. She had a little three-year-old son, and she had about an eight-year-old son who was mentally handicapped. She kind of looked at him and said, he has the mind of a baby. I don't think he'll ever be able to understand the gospel. And I explained to her the concept that the Bible teaches about the age of accountability, that God does not hold people accountable to his law when they are not able to understand his law. For this reason, the Bible teaches that if a child, or young child or baby dies, they go to heaven. And for that same reason, we believe that someone who's maybe mentally handicapped and they might grow physically, but they're not mentally able to understand that they are sinners, that God would not hold them accountable. I explained that to her, and she was very thankful. She was very happy to hear that. But I told my wife as we were walking away, I said, you know, one of the telltale signs that somebody truly got saved is that they're immediately concerned with the people they love. And if you're a soul winner, you might, have, you, you, you might have had a story like that where you got somebody saved and, and the first thing they said is, can you, say that? Can you, get, can you explain this to my brother? Can, can you explain this to my wife? Can, can you explain this to my husband? You know, what, one of the signs that somebody really understood salvation is that they're immediately concerned with those that are closest to them. See, this lady, you say, do you think she really got saved? I think she really got saved because her first thought was, what about my kids? What's going to happen to them? I want you to to notice that when Matthew, when he became a follower of Jesus, he was immediately concerned for his friends. He made a great feast in his own house, and there was a great company of publicans and others that sat down with him. Matthew was concerned for his friends. Here's point number three for you. I said, number one, we're looking to reach sinners. And number two, we're looking to enlist workers. But number three, we are looking to invite your friends and family. Amen. We want you to be concerned with those you love the most. Go with me, if you would, to the book of John, John chapter number one. You're there in Luke. The next, the next book is John. You ought to be concerned with your friends and your family. You ought to, like Matthew, be concerned with your co-workers. Amen. Matthew was a publican, and he brought a whole host of publicans to Jesus, to meet Jesus, to get acquainted with Jesus. He wanted to invite them. I want you to notice that this is something that we see throughout the Gospels. In John chapter 1 and verse 40, the Bible says this, John 140, and it says John 140, one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew. Now we saw in Luke chapter 5 when Peter and uh, Andrew got called into the ministry. But that was not the first time they had met Jesus. Here in John 1, we're going to see that when that happened. The Bible says that Andrew was a follower of John the Baptist. It says one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew. Notice, Simon Peter's brother. Now when Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, found Jesus... The first thing he did, verse 41, he, Andrew, first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. Andrew found Jesus, and his first concern was that his brother also find Jesus. Verse 42, and he, Andrew, brought him, Simon Peter, to Jesus. 
And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Notice verse 43. The day following Jesus, so this is now the next day, would go forth into Galilee and find it Philip. Here we have another apostle. And saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Notice verse 45. Philip findeth Nathanael. And saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. I want you to notice that Andrew finds Jesus, then Andrew finds Peter and brings him to Jesus. Philip finds Jesus, then Philip finds Nathaniel and brings him to Jesus. Uh, Matthew finds Jesus, then Matthew finds all his publican friends and brings them to Jesus. Hey, I'm here to tell you that we're looking to reach sinners and we're looking to enlist workers, but we're also looking to invite your friends and family. In case you don't know, this is why we have things like this. Say, why do you have things like I love my church Sundays? Is it because you really like popcorn, Pastor? <laughs> I don't really like popcorn, to be honest with you, but I like any excuse for you to be able to invite your friends and your family. Because we're trying to put tools into your hands that you can use. Listen, Matthew, maybe you've got a coworker that the Lord has laid on your heart. And you've just kind of been concerned. He said a few things and he's kind of, you know, he's going through something having issues in his marriage, or having issues with his kids. It's kind of, Lord's been laying them on your heart. Hey, why don't you this week take one of these cards and say, hey, I want to invite you to I Love My Church Sunday. You're my friend. I I think that it would be a help to you. I'd love for you to be my guest. Maybe you can be like Matthew and entice them with a meal. Levi made him a great feast. You know, I, I think Levi said, hey, hey, I, I think Levi showed up to work. He went to his co-workers. He said, hey, I want to invite you guys over for lunch. I, I, in fact, I want, I want to invite you to church on Sunday to meet Jesus. Then I'll take you out to lunch afterwards. I, I'm just here to tell you that we've got to get concerned for the people that we know best. Your friends, your family, your co-workers, your neighbors. Hey, this is why we do things like this. Why? That you might have a reason. You say, well, what if I invite them to church? What if I invite them? What, what if they know a little bit about the church and they've seen things on YouTube or they've seen things on the news? And What if I invite them and their response is, can any good thing come out of verity? Then you just say, hey, come and see. Amen. Come check it out. Amen. I'll buy you a meal. It'll be fun. It'll be great. You say, why? Here's why. Because we're trying to reach sinners. Here's why. Because we're trying to enlist the middle class. Here's why. Because we're trying to invite your friends and family. And by the way, especially those of you, you say, well, I'm not like these young people. I didn't grow up in church. And I didn't grow up uh, uh, just being raised in a Christian home. Well, then you've got an advantage because you probably know more sinners. Praise the Lord for all the kids that have grown up here. But the problem with the kids that have grown up here is that they're all friends with each other. Like, I want to invite all my friends, but they already come. Well, you might need to make some more friends. But some of you already have friends. You already have people you're close to. You already have people you've made connections with. I want to encourage you today to be like Matthew. And say, I'd like to introduce you to Jesus. You say, I, I can't give them the gospel. They, I don't know how to give the gospel. Or maybe you know how to give the gospel, but they won't let me give them the gospel because a prophet is not without honor saving his own country. I get that. But could you just say, come and see? 
Could you just invite them to come and see? Could you just get them here and maybe somebody else can give them the gospel? Amen. Maybe the word of God can have an effect and a work in their lives. See, we learn from this story of Matthew, the call of Matthew. We see three things. Jesus was looking to reach sinners. Jesus put an ad out in the newspaper would say, sinners wanted, righteous need not apply. And for that reason, we ought, to re- we, ought, we ought to have a willingness to reach people no matter where they are, no matter how they are. We ought to bring them in. Now, we don't want to have this attitude like the liberal churches that says, come as you are and stay that way. No, no, no. Come as you are and become a follower of Jesus. Amen. Begin to be like Jesus. How are we going to do that? We need to enlist the working class. We need some of you that already have the character and integrity of holding down a job. You've already developed the habits of working hard, paying your own way. Hey, we need some of you to show up for soul winning. We need some of you to get involved in in ministry, take up some volunteer opportunities and decide, hey, you say, Pastor, I'm busy. So were all these other guys. So was anyone that God ever used was already busy doing something else. And then we ought to invite our friends, family, co-workers. And at the very least, say, hey, would you come and see? Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture, the call of Matthew. Interesting passage. So many truths to learn. Lord, I pray you'd help us to be a church that enlists an entire army of workers. Workers that are already working, that they might help us reach the poor, reach the desolate, reach the lonely. And Lord, help us all to do our part, to invite friends, invite family, invite co-workers, and at the very least, invite them to come and see. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.